Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. So one quick announcement before I get going in today's message. August 15th is a baptism class here at Appleton location. Even if you're joining us online, this will be available at Appleton for you too. If you've surrendered your life to the Lord, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder, does he want me to be baptized or not? He's already told you, yes. So if you're looking into that, uh, check out the class. August 15th, no registration. Um, information's on the website. Go to the website, check out where it'll be and what time. But August 15th, look into it. And, and here's what I want to say. As big as we get as a church, it's such an important milestone. And it's such an important thing to share your story, even the, even the little bit that we get on the video that we record. It's so important. Um, we never want to be too big that we can't do that with our brothers and sisters and our family here. So I'd encourage you to think about that August 15th. Again, no obligation, you're not committing to anything, you're just going to learn more about it. August 15th, baptism class. Okay, uh, I was just coming back uh, two weeks ago from our annual pilgrimage uh, to the Jersey Shore, which is different than what you think, uh, and it's different than what Snooky thinks about it. Um, but uh, it's great, it's a great family time. And we're coming back, and um, you know, Discoveryland. One of the great things they, they've helped me as a parent just think about my role as the primary disciple maker. That's why Discoveryland is so important. It partners with parents, and they've helped me and Hannah with this. Is that at a young age, at the very earliest ages, you can start to disciple your kids. And one of the ways that they teach you how to do that is to use creation, especially when kids are really little. That's where you can start. So we've been doing this with Elias. He's four. So when we we're driving over this bridge and, and there's a big bay we're going over and all this uh, ocean water. I pointed out to Elias, I said, hey Elias, look out your window. You see all that water? Every drop of it comes from God. God made all that water. And Elias is blown away. I mean, he's like, he's just staring out the window and he's like, wow, look all that water. I'm like, all of it, every drop of it. And he said this, as dead serious as I can possibly say it here today without laughing, he said, dead serious, he goes, wow, God must have a huge garden hose. <laughs> because in the wise, sagely wisdom of a four-year-old, that's where all the water in the world comes from, is some cosmic garden hose up in heaven. Well, we're talking about wisdom this month. The whole month, we're going to talk about wisdom. And I'm reminded, again, I say this a lot, that the intellectual gap between my four-year-old and my 37-year-old mind, the distance between us intellectually, is nothing compared to the gap between our minds and what we know of the reality of the universe and how the world works, what we know compared to what God knows. It is an infinitely wider chasm. And so when it comes to wisdom... Even our best human effort at it falls infinitely short. So we're going to be there. And here's what's interesting about wisdom. This is, this is the reality, is that most of life's decisions are not, they're not moral ones for the most part, meaning they're not like, should I do evil or good? And don't get me wrong, there's temptation, there's all kinds of situations like that that you'll find yourself in every day. But a lot of life's decisions, like many of them, are 
about wisdom. What's the wisest thing to do? You know, your career path, like what kind of, what kind of skills should I acquire in my education? What college should I go to? What, what job should I take? What promotion should I take? What, what, um, what kind of house should I get? What kind of car do I really need? Where should we live? What kind of neighborhood should I be in? What kind of school district? These are all decisions that have great implications. I mean, big, dire consequences for some of these things. These are the things that I get calls about, about, hey, what does the Bible say about what should I do with this? But honestly, those decisions, most of them, most of life decisions are really about wisdom. It's not necessarily evil or good. It's actually what's the wisest thing to do. So this is a very important topic with immense consequences. And I would encourage you, to, if you live in there almost every day, I would every day open up to the book of Proverbs, at least read one. It's like... Um, it's like a Twitter account, the way it works. It's just little Proverbs. Actually, it's what, X account now? Is that what it is? These are like little Xs. But we'll start at the, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just, just Google it. Okay, Proverbs chapter one. We're gonna get right into the beginning. We're gonna start at the beginning of this whole book. We're gonna be here all month. But today, the passages we're gonna look at are gonna be right in the beginning. And here it is, Proverbs chapter one. Ready for this? Verse one, chapter one. And I'm gonna live in this text. I'm gonna kind of, Refer to it a couple times. We're going to really lift out from the text this morning. So if, if you want to keep it open, if you've got it on your phones or your, your paper copy, uh, you want to keep it open to Proverbs chapter 1 today. Verse 1, the proverb of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, a lot in here. We're gonna live in here for a second. So what, what the author is doing here, what Solomon is doing, is he is defining wisdom for us. He's clarifying what it is and what it's not. So we're going to start with what it is. Let's see what it, what it is. One of the things that's true about wisdom is that it's not only morality, but it's not less than morality. Meaning um, it's not just being good morally. It's, it's, there's something more to it than that. We all know well-meaning good moral people, but they just don't have the wisdom. They're not the wisest. They, they keep finding themselves in some tough situations. They make some decisions that aren't necessarily evil or malicious or nefarious in intent, but they don't end up well, right? We know that. So wisdom isn't less than morality, but it's certainly more than it. Here's what I mean by that. The, the, the Hebrew word here for, for insight is clarifying what wisdom is. The word insight there, it means like it's the etymology of it, the root word there in the Hebrew, is like notice. It's, it's like noticing stuff. So it's like Robert Downey Jr. Jr. when he walks into a room as Sherlock Holmes and he sees the, all the, the crime scene, he notices maybe 15 clues where everybody else kind of only can notice three or four. He notices more. Or maybe it's like that person that you go and ask for advice for when... Um, when you're in a tough situation, you, you're, something went bad, you're in a rock and a hard place, and you go to them and you're like, hey, I don't see a way out of this. And what do they say? Well, no, no, no. 
There's three things you can do to get out of this. Or there's two things you can do to get out of this. They notice more. So wisdom is the ability to have this insight that simply notices more than most people or than other people. That's wisdom. But there's a second component to it, and you see it here in the very next verse, in verse 3. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. You know people that have great advice, but they don't apply it themselves? And don't nudge anybody right now. Keep your elbows to yourself. But you know what I'm talking about? Those people that like, you actually give, they, they give good advice. And, and you want to ask them what they think about stuff. But then you watch the way they live or you see something happen. Even, even famous celebrity wise people. And then there's a picture of them in the news doing something that's obviously dumb. You know, like what, what are they thinking well, again, the Hebrew word prudent there is actually a word that basically describes it's in alignment with reality. They act, they take action, their behavior is wise. It's in alignment with what's real. You ever, you ever see somebody do something dumb and you go, what universe did they think that that would be okay? They're not living in reality. People who are wise not only give great advice, not only notice more than most people, but they live and their actions, the, the, the actions and behaviors of their life are in line with reality. They're prudent. But then look at what the next verse is. Again, clarifying what is wisdom here. It says this, doing what is right and just and fair. Within that same verse, it says this, doing what's right, just, and fair. This is what this means. <clears throat> You can't be evil <clears throat> and wise. Here's why. Because the reality of the universe, the reality of, of all that exists is that there is a creator. And he has both the laws of physics and the laws of sowing and reaping and the laws of justice. And he's defined those things in the cosmos, but he has also defined the laws of morality. What is good? what is virtuous, what is right, what is moral. And it is as offensive to God as it is stupid to go against the laws that God has put in place in the cosmos, the laws of spiritual truths, the laws of character and integrity and morality. It's unwise to go against those. A fool would do that. I mean, even if you're not a Christian, you're a skeptic, you're just spiritually undecided, you're working all this out, for a second, just ascend to the thought that there is a God and he has a moral standard. Wouldn't it be foolish to blow it off, to ignore those things? So what scripture is telling us is kind of there's this, it, it, there's, there's several things involved in wisdom. There's this ability to see things that most people don't. This ability to act in alignment with reality and this ability to be moral and good and understand the fabric and go with the grain of the moral code that God has put into the universe to go against it will give you splinters. So collectively together, I mean, this is just the best summary I've got based on what the text is giving us here this morning. Wisdom is competently navigating in all these areas the reality of how God made the created order, everything. Competently navigating acting, living, perceiving in the way God made the universe. That's 
what wise people do. That's wisdom as Solomon's giving it to us here. But he also does something else. He calls out two people <laughs> who are not wise. So let's, let's get after what wisdom isn't. So wisdom, what, what isn't it? Well, there's two categories of people that you will see throughout the whole book of Proverbs. There's a third category, which is the mocker, which is a bit of a hybrid of, of a couple of these, but there's really two ends of the spectrum. And you'll see these throughout all of the texts that we're gonna be in this month in Proverbs. And it's the first one is the simpleton, and then there's the fool. The fool and the simpleton, those are the two, okay? Let's start with the simpleton, okay? He, he calls them out here, he says this. Um, he says, this is for giving prudence to those who are simple. So apparently simple people are not wise. What is a simple person? Well, to sum up the book of Proverbs on simpletons, it's basically a person who goes with the flow. They don't argue with it. They don't think critically for themselves. They just go with what is popular, what, what society, culture, what the cool kids are doing. In fact, and that's why he kind of calls it out here, um, simple knowledge and discretion to the young. He's, he's marrying simplicity with youthfulness. When you're a, particularly an adolescent or a teenager, you're not, you're not dealing with all the other temptations of adulthood, like comparing what car you drive or how well-behaved your kids are or what kind of house you have or what kind of cool vacations you take. You're not dealing with all those other issues that we as adults struggle with and get sucked into. Um, materialism isn't a thing yet because you, you don't have any money, you're poor, you have an allowance or whatever. But the one thing that you get sucked into is you want to be in the in crowd. You, you want to be included. You don't want to be left out. You don't want to be one of the uncool people. So very often for our young people, teenagers, they're trying to fit in. And, and you've heard this before. When you get to an adulthood, you don't want to stand out. But when you're a kid, you want to fit in. And simpletons are the ones that don't think critically. They just want to fit in so bad. They go with whatever crowd they're trying to fit into. They don't question anything. That's the simpleton. The fool. They have the opposite problem. The, this, that's why Solomon calls them out. There's the simpleton who goes with the flow, doesn't think critically. The fool doesn't go with anybody. <laughs> they don't go with anybody. They think that everybody's wrong. They're the only ones that are right. No one can tell them they're wrong. That's the fool. The fool, again, it ends with this. They hate wisdom. They despise it. They despise instruction and correction because they don't need it. They got all the answers. They don't even care what the cool kids think because the cool kids are dumb compared to them. So this is the fool, right? Uh, and this is also a problem, I will tell you. As a parent of young kids, there's a problem with kids too. It's not just the simpleton part, it's the foolish part too. In fact, Proverbs 22, verse 15 says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and takes a discipline to get it out. I mean, my, my daughter is six. We, my wife and I, we just had this conversation with Addie a couple days ago. And we're sitting at our, at our, at our countertop in, in our kitchen, and we're, we're talking about everything from bedtime to like candy. And my daughter, genuinely, I mean, not even, I'm not, she's not, I'm not being facetious here. She genuinely believes she could do it better than us. Like she genuinely believes she doesn't need us at all. Like she knows exactly how much candy she should be able to handle. She shows exactly what time her bedtime should be. She knows exactly what she'd be allowed to do and what not to do. And she's just confused as to why it's taking us so long to figure these things out. She genuinely believes that she is the smartest person in the room. 
And, and this is the reality. You know, you know a new sentence that's never been said before in history by a six-year-old is, Mom, Dad, here's what I want to do, but what do you think is best? Like, that never gets said. Why? Because foolishness is bound up in all of us. We're born default mode, autopilot, into thinking that we're the only ones that know what's going on in the world, that we've finally arrived and the zenith of human thought is in us, finally. That's, that's the way it is. And if it doesn't get dealt with, if, it doesn't, if you don't discipline that out of kids, they grow up like that and they just become big kids. So this is the things that wisdom is not. And this is the things that you'll see throughout this book as we walk through it, as you walk through it in your study this month. But the question before us today, this is the meat, and this is where we're gonna land the plane here today, is this, how do we get it? How do we get it? Oftentimes, when people come into my office with a big decision, it, again, most of it isn't like, Pastor, what should I do? Should I rob a, should I steal a car, or should I save up and buy one? What I am just, what does the Bible say about that? I mean, most people are not dealing with evil and good the, most of the time. Most time, it's, it's, it's wisdom decisions. And they come to me, and they're maybe they're looking for a technique. They're looking for a formula. And, and I want to encourage you. Yes, there, there are some handlebars that, that the, the Bible, that Scripture gives you in making wise decisions. I mean, you, you could say one of them is to read the book of Proverbs. You'll find helpful guiding principles in there. You should read the book. You should know the book. The other one is, seek, it says, one of them is seek wise counsel. You should go and talk to people who are wise or have discernment in those areas. They can see more than most people. They notice more opportunities in business or in parenting or in financial decisions. I mean, there's, there, you seek wise counsel. That's one handlebar. But the reality is this, is that there really is no secret sauce. There is no formula. There's no technique. But what there is, the short answer, and this is the answer no one really wants to hear when they come to my office, is you just need to give your life to the journey of becoming a wise person. There's no secret sauce or math formula. You just become a wise person. That's what the way scripture talks about it, is walking with the wise, becoming wise. You have to become a wise person. And this is what's called a journey. And today I'm going to give you what scripture tells us is the starting point. The starting point of your journey. The starting point of every decision that is going to be wise in your life. There's a clear starting point. And here's what this means. It means you can't decide, I want to get wise. And I'm going to get wise up to this point. And then I'm going to start where the Bible tells me to start. <laughs> there is no version of that wisdom. But what there is, is foolishness until you start where the Bible tells you to start your journey on wisdom. Do you want to know what it is? It's fear. It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Throughout all of this book, you'll find the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the start. There's no version where you say, I'm going to skip that part, and I'm going to be super wise up till this point in my life, and then when I'm ready to fear him, I'll add that in. 
There's none of that. It's foolishness until you start at the starting line. There's no race until you cross the starting line before you get to the finish line. You got to start with the fear of the Lord. And here's what's wild about this. And this is throughout all of scripture is the fear of the Lord is actually not something you can do and add to a list of other behaviors or actions. It's not go to church, tie the portion of your income to the church. It's not that. And then you go to, I'm going to serve now in the church. Then I'm going to love my neighbor and do ministry in my neighborhood. And then I'm going to get to number four, which is I'm going to start fearing the Lord. Check. Fearing the Lord isn't something you add to your list of spiritual disciplines from Scripture. It's not what it is. Fear of the Lord is something you have as a posture and an attitude. It is the it is the fuel, it is the engine to drive everything that you actually do. You don't add it to the list. It drives everything. In fact, in Ecclesiastes and throughout all of Scripture, there's a couple other passages in Jeremiah where it talks about they behave, they did all of the commandments, but they God despised their 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 obedience because they did not fear Him. This is two separate things. Ecclesiastes says both fear the Lord and obey His commandments. Those are two different things. The fear is a relational dynamic that you have with God. You either have it. Or you don't. Now, if, you're, if right now this is bothering you, it, I would understand why. Because did you notice that fear in this passage is a positive thing? It's a, it's a positive thing? In many places in Scripture, there's a description of fear as negative. And the reality is this. In the Bible, there are two fears. There's a negative one and there's a positive one. The negative one shows up in places like 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. John's talking about love, and at one point he says this. He says, there's no fear in love. You notice that? He says, perfect love drives out all fear. You know, you know what's interesting is you think that the opposite of love, and you see this throughout all of Scripture, you think the opposite of love is hate. But in reality, the opposite of love, a loving relationship, is one built on fear the opposite of a loving relationship why why is this verse talking about perfect love driving out fear why shouldn't we have fear in a relationship with god or at least the negative kind because in a loving relationship when you truly love somebody when you're in when you're in love right you think about when you first fell in love with your spouse when you're in love you would go to great lengths right you do crazy things for love when Hannah and i first met and we're dating i would drive like eight hours in a day to go see her and then turn around and drive eight hours home she was in indiana what who I, I don't know i don't know who does that unless you're in love cost sacrifice suffering is a is nothing to you when you love somebody Right? Mothers, fathers, when their kids are in danger, they just instinctively react. They don't even think about it. Perfect love, it drives out all fear. When you see your kids about to get hurt, you just jump in front of it because you love them. That's what love is. Fear is the opposite of that. Fear is I will give no payment of cost. I will protect myself from all hurt, all suffering. It's the self-preservation fear. It's the negative fear. It's like selfish fear. I won't even give up anything. Because I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to lose. I don't want this to cost me. It's the opposite of a loving relationship, which is happy to give for the other person's joy. The other kind of negative fear in Scripture that you see all the time is a fear that has to do with trust. You don't, you don't trust God. You think at some point he's going to hit me. At some point this is going to end poorly for me. At some point I will be destroyed by this relationship. That's the other negative fear. It's a trust. Any relationship 
based on fear is a dangerous one. So this is a negative fear. But there's a positive fear. I'm going to give you a, a couple ways to understand how, the, how this, a, a positive fear. I don't know if you ever watch um, the Antique Road Show. This is one of my favorite shows that I don't, even, I don't even know if it's on anymore, but I love this show. I especially love it when the person's there and the expert's talking about the artifact that they had, they bought from some, you know, garage sale. And they ask them, like, how much did you pay for it? And like, well, I paid like 300 bucks for this thing. And the person's like, well, it's actually worth nothing. And it's like, bling, nothing. And the person's like, well, that's not. But, but aside from that, there's most of the time that's not the case. Most of the time, the person's like, the expert asks the owner of the artifact or the antique, and they say, you know, where'd you get it? And he's like, well, I got it at a, a state sale in Missouri. You know, and, and the guy's like, well, how much did you pay for it? He's like, I paid $4 for it. And it's maybe like this teapot, this like little teapot. And he's like, yeah, my, my daughter has a tea party with it every day, and she's playing with it all the time, and she loves it. And he's like, well, I would think it's probably, a, it's probably worth about 500 to a million dollars, 500,000 to a million dollars. He's like, bling, like 500,000. The guy faints. He's not even in the picture anymore because he just fainted. <laughs> that is a healthy fear. That's a joyous fear, right? When you take that tea set or whatever that artifact was, whatever that, whatever that antique was, you take it now wherever you mount it, wherever you put it, there's a bit of a trembling, right? You don't just let your, your little daughter play with it at tea time every day. You, you actually take care of it. There's a trembling kind of fear. Why? Because it's valuable. Because you see the value in it. So there's this joyous fear in the way you handle it. Second kind of way to maybe unpack this, and I, I want to be careful about this. I want to over-romanticize our relationship with God. But, but guys, if you can think about the first time you asked your spouse on a date, right? The first time you asked, asked her on a date, there was probably some trembling there, right? I mean, I know I was trembling. I was also sweating, actually. I was very specifically in my feet. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. It's like every drop of water in my body was like everybody out through the basement. And, and it, was, it was awkward for everybody. But um, I don't know why we brought that up. <laughs> There's some sweat. There was some trembling, right? It's a healthy fear because what you're afraid of, of offending them or, or, or worse, hurting them, you know? You're afraid of, of making them feel uncomfortable. It's a healthy fear, a joyous fear. Why? Not just because they're valuable, but because they're glorious. They're wonderful. I mean, they're beautiful to you. This... If you had this with God, you know, if you had this with God, you'd be wise. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be a simpleton. You know, you wouldn't be lured away by what all the other kids are doing. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be a fool. You wouldn't not care what he thinks. You wouldn't be like, okay, what's the bare minimum I got to do? based on what your commandments are. You wouldn't be going, what's the bare minimum? You'd wake up every day and be like, today's a new chance to learn new things I didn't know about the values in the heart of my Savior. And so this, it changes your posture completely. That's the beginning. It's the starting point of wisdom. Well, how do you get that? Well, I'm going to invite the the worship team to come up and they're, we're going to close in a song but but before we do i want to i want to end here this is this is so important this might be took a right turn for you you came in today you heard about the wisdom i start talking about that and you think okay i'm gonna learn some things today i got a couple business deals i need some wisdom on this will be really great 
And then God makes an appointment with you and it's a little different than what you thought. Psalm 130 is going to explain to you and me today where the beginning of our journey in wisdom needs to be. Ready for this? Lord, if you kept a record of our sin, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to, ready for this? This is so weird. You think, you think what should go in there? Like, with, so we might learn to love you, so we might learn to adore you, so we might learn to worship you, surrender to you. Ready for this? So we might learn to fear. We might learn to fear you. You know, when you, when you stare honestly at the cross and the high price that Jesus paid, not for them, not for his people, Stop abstracting it. Stop abstracting the reality or else you're not, never going to get wise. You're never going to get wise. Staring honestly, learning to understand the price that Jesus paid for you. Your sin. The cost of it and what it did to his life and how much he gave. Not because he needed to or because he had to, God's perfect. Jesus is perfect. He doesn't need a relationship with you. He doesn't need you. How do you improve upon perfection? You don't. No, God did it because he wants you. He loves you. He delights in you. But it cost him because of your sin. And if you can stare at that kind of forgiveness, if you can look honestly at that, well, now you start to understand how to learn fear. You stop getting up in the morning wondering, what's the bare minimum I got to do? You stop thinking thoughts like, well, I'm just going to do this anyway and then ask for forgiveness later because you're going to forgive me, God. You don't do that. It's disgusting to you. There's a precious fear of the Lord because he's so beautiful and he's so wonderful and he's so valuable to you because of what he gave to you. Wisdom how to get it? Well, it's forgiveness. It's going to lead you to a place. It's going to drop you off at a driveway. It leads to joyful fear. And I'm going to guess that in a room this size, there are people that have been asking God to forgive them for a long time. But they haven't done this. They haven't let him. They haven't let him. You've asked him to forgive you. But you haven't let him forgive you for everything. And I'm here to tell you today, your journey toward wisdom can't begin, can't start. You'll leave here and you'll walk out these doors a fool unless you let God forgive you for every single thing. Let him do it today. Leave here forgiven and start your journey toward wisdom. I'll say this, if you keep asking God for forgiveness for the same sin over and over again, 
Same thing that happened when you were a teenager, when you were in the army, when you were in college, that first marriage. If you keep asking for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again, I'm here to tell you today, you're asking for forgiveness for the wrong sin. The sin you should be asking God for forgiveness for is pride because you're not letting him forgive you for that thing. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I have not let you. I have not received it. There has been a prideful spirit in me that has said, I'm, I'm too dirty. My sin is too bad for your goodness and your forgiveness. And Lord, I need to be wise. I need to fear you. Would you let your forgiveness wash over me? Why don't you, why don't you stand as you're, able to, as you're able to stand? And we're gonna worship the Lord. And I pray during this song, during this time, you, you allow yourself to be forgiven. You need to, he is there, he's forgiving you, but you gotta let him do it. You gotta let him do it. And then you can begin this month series. Then you can begin this journey toward wisdom. Otherwise, you're gonna leave your fool. So let's do this to church together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm reminded this morning that uh, your forgiveness was spoken at the cross 2,000 years ago. You said, Father, forgive them. As, as our sin is putting you on that cross, you're offering forgiveness. Lord, some of us have not put our hand out and received it. And Lord, we've wondered why we're making such dumb decisions. We wonder why we live so imprudently. We wonder why we wander morally. Because, Lord, we have, we have spurned your forgiveness. Forgive us for not walking in the confidence of your forgiveness. Forgive us for that. Lord, we receive it from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.